You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. This edition of It's My Money is brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth, your partner for global wealth creation. Welcome to It's My Money. It's My Money is brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth, South Africa's top boutique wealth manager 2023. Today I'm speaking to Aaron Ruttenberg and he's kindly sent me a piece which has the headline, Stock Picking versus Portfolio Management, Dash, They Are Not the same. I agree with you, Aaron, they're not the same. But in the early part of the article, you talk about your savings journey, you're you're personalising this, and obviously you're leading to something by telling people what your savings philosophy is. Maybe you could run through it before we get to the the, the main title. Hi, Lindsay, and um, welcome to all your listeners. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Basically, my journey started, and I didn't include this, but First and foremost, and it's important when this gets released, that saving for emergencies is the number one thing an investor can do in financial planning before they build up a retirement fund. Unless their company has a compulsory provident or pension fund, emergency investing is vital. So I'm just saying that up front. And that's partly where I did start my journey. Um, once I studied this and once I read and the, the emergency savings, the textbooks say should be three months minus six months and i'm moving towards the 12 months i like something a bit bigger that's just personal and um you know one can chain that one can diversify the six months into something like an income fund and six months into the bank but that's a separate story so it starts with the saving for emergencies and then you know you've got the i like the simplicity and the ease of you know an ra or a pension fund contribution you know coming out of my paycheck before it ever touches my bank account you know it's easy to automate I set it, I forget it, and that's how I began. And then, you know, the fact that a tax-free investment came out, which is sort of like a discretionary investment, um, I took part in that as well. In the early days, it was 30,000 rand a month, and today it's 30,000 rand a year, yes. um, and which is equivalent to 2,000 rand a month, and now I contribute 3,000 rand a month um, now that it's 36,000. But the point is that I first just contributed to the tax advantageous investments in the beginning every month okay so you, that's the way you started but obviously as the money accumulates you start to get a bit more expansive and other things are possible is that correct Aaron yes that's correct absolutely so once all of that was on autopilot I felt comfortable with the amount that I was saving in a tax deferred retirement account again the tax-free savings was the next step but the real phase two came where I was building up a taxable account to offer some more flexibility before retirement age. And it's important when I did this, you know, every single month, it would also be behavioral protection because you do it, you don't look at anything and it, you don't think things can go up, thinking things can go down, you're buying more when they go down and buying less when they go up and it's fine. So using my tax refund as well, I would like in, I would invest into my tax-free investment. So it's like taking a double a, a double tax deferred, you know, taking advantage of the double tax deferred situation. And then um, I would then pick up some stocks with the rest of the money that I had. Oh, that's interesting because at the end of your, little, your first journey, phase one, you say that when that taxable account started to become real money, it wasn't very much fun anymore. I've always thought that, that when things, when you, when you, as you become wealthier, and it's all relative, of course, but you, you start to have more choices. So you've got more potential problems, but you seem very level-headed. And you go on to say, the simple reason for this is stock picking is not the same thing 
as portfolio management. Picking stocks, which you've just mentioned, is always hard, but it's even harder when you're trying to marry it with financial planning. So the two must uh, coexist, but they're not easy bedfellows, as the English say. No, they're not. When you're picking stocks, which I have no issue with in the beginning, because I had fun with this for the years, over the years, until it grew, you know, and then the stakes started rising and the taxable account or this brokerage account started to become real money. It wasn't fun anymore in the way that I would manage that situation. And the reason I say it is because when you pick stocks and you've got a considerable amount of money in your own terms, yes. and then eventually you have, and look again, everybody's situation is different. Like I was level-headed, but certain people come with a lot of debt. So that's why financial planning is so specific to people. But when people you know, like myself you know, have children, and then you've got a lot of responsibilities as your life changes, you need to then really make things simple because the average investor just doesn't beat the index or the average very good fund manager. So investing in index funds became, and unit trusts, I like to blend the two for myself and for my clients, became a much easier answer to that. Does the stock picking replace the fun that you had in phase one, Aaron? I'm talking to you personally now and as and, and in general when you speak to your clients. For example, you're very sensible. You let things you let things lie. You let them do what they should do. In other words, accrue over the years. But when you get a bit of money, you think, I've just seen something about that tech company on the NASDAQ and I really want to have a go at that. That sort of injects the fun at the beginning. But then if it goes badly, then the fun goes out the window as it did before. But it is an important part of sort of embellishing your strategy, your passive strategy, by having an active strategy, I would have thought. You know, it's true, but when you don't have all the information or when Mr. Market has the information before you and you've got a considerable amount in your own terms, things become more real because, you know, those shares can really act like the stock market, you know, in like in, I'll, I'll, we'll get to it, but it adds almost like it, it behaves like what you would see in an index fund would be a lot less volatile than what you would see in a share, in other words. And look, yes. you know, NVIDIA is an example of what you mentioned, and their results are coming out tonight. And for NVIDIA, you know, it's a lovely, well-run company you know, and taking part in different parts of tech. And it's not something that I can now, if I was in that situation, not having had NVIDIA at, the, at that time, I, I did not have it, and you know, if I decided to invest into it, into it, as it's become more expensive, it doesn't really make a dent in the portfolio. And then there becomes something else. And how do you manage that? And I know that I don't have all the information like Mr. Market. So I just prefer to make things simple, knowing like from Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and Peter Lynch, that I'm not going to be able to beat that market in time. But to answer the initial question, I did keep all the money in the shares. I did not move anything out of the shares um, and then new money was invested into index and mutual funds okay good now, you're only on phase two or phase three of your investment journey uh, but what's the message from you right now having picked up both theoretical and also practical uh, experience from from your own experiences you've been describing so well what is it stock picking versus portfolio management can they work together or are they completely separate i think they need to be seen as separate because when it comes to portfolio or when it comes to stock picking, you'll have some stocks that are up and you'll have some stocks that have gotten crushed. And how do you allocate that new savings, you know, into the big winners or the big losers? There's no easy answer. So understanding when to sell stocks might be the hardest part of owning individual names. And this becomes part of portfolio management and becomes part of 
stock picking. There are plenty strategies for buying stocks. I've never heard of a good explanation from anyone on sell discipline, ever. No. Sell your winners to buy more of your losers, or that's like cutting your flowers to water your se- or your weeds, or um, no, well, no one ever went broke taking a profit, which is what I prefer. So letting your winners run is is also a good strategy. So you sell your losers and double down on your winners. But why would you want to be fearful? Everybody says, you know, be well, Warren Buffett says, be fearful when others are greedy. So why would you want to be fearful when everybody else is? is fearful why wouldn't why would you want to cut your losers so you know why would you want to run out of the store when there's a sale so if you do sell a winner or a loser do you sit on cash and how long do you wait what if the market gets away from you or do you put that money into a new name or, or another holding in the portfolio what if valuations aren't so compelling so obviously people who do this for a living and who have a process and who think deeply about these issues of which there are not a lot of of those people you know they've got the upper hand they've got a lot of resources but Owning individual stocks invites infinitely more behavioral hurdles in a simpler strategy, which is why I um, decided to really stick to index investing, ETFs, and mutual funds. You dollar cost average, or if you're going directly offshore, which is where we prefer to go. And then when the market does go down, you buy more, but you've got exposure to everything. And then when the market reweights, if Tesla does become the biggest company in the world, or Microsoft over, you know, between Microsoft and Apple, and NVIDIA, it doesn't matter because your portfolio will be reweighted on the index side accordingly. And nothing you have to do. And that's portfolio management taken care of. The other part of portfolio management is rebalancing your portfolio, which is much easier to do. When your stocks get too large compared to your bonds, well, then you just sell some of your stocks and then you reweight it accordingly once a year or whatever your strategy is. It seems to me, having interviewed a, a, a fund manager, and you'll, you'll know his name if I mentioned it, which I won't, but he's advocating stock picking in, the, in a South African context at the moment, domestic stocks. This year will be a stock picker's year. So when you invest in his fund, which I think you do, or the, your, your, some of your clients do, stock picking is part of it. So in a, in a way, stock picking and um, portfolio management are together as long as you don't have two accounts, one that stock picks and one, one that manages your portfolio, if you see what I mean, having said that rather clumsily. Yes, you, you, you're correct, Lindsay. But the problem with owning stocks for people that don't know entirely what they're doing, like that fund manager does, yes. if you take the South African context, which we expose not a whole lot of our investors in terms of allocation to, the South African stock market is a lot different in the sense that there's a lot less to pick from because of all of the political and fundamental issues here. So you can really, you've got such a small place to pick from. If you follow the index, which is also going to change now from March, where it's now not going to be worldwide free free float. It's going to be local free float, which means the likes of Richmond are going to go down. And, you know, you could just pick a top 40 and your main holdings would be, you know, your inwardly listed offshore funds uh, or companies like Richmond and British American Tobacco, those things are going to change. So a stock picker, he he's right in the South African context because there's not a lot to choose from. But when the stock market becomes extremely volatile, you know, like the 1987 crash when the entire market fell more than 20% in a single day, that's what you're dealing with when you're owning individual stocks in large amounts on a daily basis. Like when Snap fell more than 30% after their reportings last week. Well, you get a reverse of that when Lyft was up more than 30% after their earnings this week. So you know, it happens all the time with individual stocks, and you've got to be careful. And these people 
like you mentioned, whether it be local fund manager or an offshore fund manager, have a lot of resources on their side. And sometimes they can get certain things wrong too. So that's where the individual investor really needs to focus on getting as much exposure to the globe as possible. You say uh, most individuals cannot outperform the market or an active fund manager who has unlimited resources on their side. These people do this for a living. I think it's a good idea if you have the have the stomach and you want to keep investment mind active to have a couple of stocks that you picked. And you've admitted that you have a couple of stocks outside of your portfolio management uh, strategy. And it's good fun to do it. If you'd have had, uh, for example, ARM, the UK-based company that went up 80% after its results on the coattails of NVIDIA, of course, and the whole AI frenzy. But I think you're right. You still say right at the end of the article, you say the following, I still own a handful of individual stocks in my brokerage account, but all of my new current savings are going into index funds and unit trusts. And presumably you pass that philosophy on to your clients, Aaron. Absolutely, I pass that on. Because how else can we explain the fact that so many investors can think or think they outperform the market, some of which approach us because they have failed to do so. And the more, and, and, and then I have the same discussion. And the evidence is conclusive, and I show them the evidence. Most individuals cannot outperform an active fund manager. And I don't use one. I'll always diversify across two, and I'll use fund managers with different types of thinking, value, quality, growth, who have unlimited resources on their side. They do it for a living, yes, but you know they have researchers in the background. So they can go and speak and analyze. We'll speak to the management teams. They can go to the companies. They can really go and look what's happening. Um, you know, they can perform forensic accounting on this financial statements, go on roadshows. So they've got a lot more time, even while the main portfolio manager can sit in his office while that while that happens and, and, and read analyst reports. So whilst I still own a stock, I mean, I can mention one stock I own, which I which which I've actually. I didn't buy it too long ago, but that was for a specific reason. I love this, yeah. but I, I, I don't do it with the intention of trying to outperform. I do it because there, there is a little itch I sometimes like to scratch, but it's a very little bit of money. Aaron, thank you very much for your frighteningly sensible and compelling um, advice today. Aaron Ruttenberg is from Brenthurst Wealth, and that was It's My Money. It's My Money was brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth, an award-winning boutique wealth management company.